My name is Keith Gove, and I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Ridgefield Community Church. And I get to talk this morning about Acts uh, chapter 13 and 14, um, which is Paul and Barnabas being sent out by the church in Antioch. And uh, we're talking this morning just about this being kind of the first of its kind. Now, it wasn't the first time that believers went out. It wasn't the first time that believers talked about Jesus. But there are things about this that changed everything. And if you think of, you know, just the things in history that have changed everything, you know, inventions, innovations that come up, you know, the wheel, all of a sudden, you know, whatever you're doing, you know, you're carrying sticks, you know, from here to there. You could put them in a wagon. You don't have to carry them on your back. And the printing press, all of a sudden, you know, or papyrus, you don't have to use, you know, a chisel and stone all of a sudden. Hey, good morning. You don't have to, uh, you don't have to chisel something and carry, can you imagine carrying around a book that's made of pages that are made of stone? <laughs> like the one page is too much to carry. You know, plus you got to have backpacks for your kids to carry it and they're like turtles on their back. Like it's never going to work. So, the innovations that change everything for this week, the innovation that changed everything was Peter's vision last week. Uh, Todd, you heard last week talking up here about God giving Peter and Cornelius these kind of coordinated visions. And uh, this Peter's vision, this sheet comes down and it's got clean what, what the Jewish Folks would have called clean and unclean animals. And God says, take and kill and eat. And Peter's like, no, no, never. I'll ne I'd never do that. I'm a good Jewish boy. I never, you know, take a slice of bacon from my neighbor who's a Gentile. I never do that. But God says, it's okay. Don't call what I have made clean in Jesus. Don't, don't call it unclean anymore. Jesus changes everything. All those ceremonial laws, all those laws that were pointing to the Messiah that I would send, they're done now. The Messiah has come, Jesus has come, and so the rules are different. And this is the new message that Paul and Barnabas are sent out to, uh, to preach. And so we're going to look at this first adventure, this first foray into the world where they get to take this unique message in a way that it had never gone out before. So long text, so bear with me. <laughs> it's going to be a while. <laughs> now there were in the church in Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. 
He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, woo is right, and now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. Now, there's a whole sermon that, uh, that Paul preaches, but in true Gentile fashion, I'm going to skip through that sermon and give you a summary of it, and then we're going to come back to the, to the rest. Uh, so he starts with men of Israel. He's in the synagogue. Men of Israel, you who fear God. Here he gives the background, the Jewish history. God chose us. He chose the Jews. He gave them land and judges and a great king in David. His whole sermon leads up to David and the promise of a savior who would come from David's offspring. That savior, Paul tells them, is Jesus, killed by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and raised from the dead by God. And we, Paul and Barnabas and Lucius and all the rest, are witnesses of that fact. And he leaves them with two things. First is a promise. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. This is something new God has done. And then he leaves them with a warning. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astonished and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. And then he continues, the next, Luke continues now, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear Paul and Barnabas. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary for the word of God to be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city and stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Now, 
at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue again and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their mind against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city still were divided. Some sided with the Jews, some sided with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with the rulers to mistreat them and stone them, Paul and Barnabas learned of it, and they fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Laconia, and to the surrounding country, and they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra, there's a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looked intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, he said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet, and he sprang up. And began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garland to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose and entered the city, and on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel in that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed." They passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, and from there sailed back to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. And when they arrived, they gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained there no little time with the disciples. Whoo! We made it! <laughs> Thank you. Let's pray. No. <laughs> so, we're, we're, we're not going to talk about every detail in that story, but we're going to look at what God did through this, this campaign in these cities and what God did that was brand new and that we enjoy today. We live in the effects of this missionary journey. We live in this gospel message that Paul and Barnabas began to proclaim now after Peter's vision. So genuinely, 
Let's pray for our morning. Father, just so many, so many ideas, Lord. Help us to see um, the goodness of your work through what Paul and Barnabas did and what you have brought to us in our own lives, in our own day. Lord, would you help us to give thanks for these stories and the implications. Um, Lord, would you teach us this morning by your spirit for your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So lots and lots of ideas, um, which uh, all kind of land in this map. So on the far right, the little gold pin is where they start. That's Antioch in Syria. Now, there's all kinds of things that have two different names. All kinds of people have two names. There's two different Antiochs in, in, on the map. There's the Antioch where they start in Syria, and there's the Antioch up in the top left where they go, uh, which they call Antioch of Pisidia, which is a long story why there are so many. A guy named all these towns after his dad, whose name was Antiochus. So there's lots of Antiochs. So they had to, like, distinguish them by, which Antioch do you mean? So anyway, uh, they start in Antioch in Syria. They go to Cyprus, where, if you remember, that's where Barnabas was from. They go there. Then they go straight up, which is all kind of modern-day Turkey. And they go, all this area up there is Galatia. So even though we don't see a lot of times, like, I don't remember Paul going to the church in Galatia. It's all these towns that make up Galatians. So when we read the, the letter to the Galatians, he's writing to these folks that he's meeting on this journey. So up to Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, and then he goes all the way back around the same way he came. Doesn't it seem weird? Why not just walk across and go uh, take, take the short way across? But what is not on the map is that that little section in between, that little Cilicia part, did not belong to Rome. That was given to somebody else. Uh, and so they couldn't go that way. They had to turn around and go all the way back. Plus, there's this Roman road that made travel easy, and there were lots of people, and it was protected by Roman centurions, and so it was a safe way to go. So I promise, no more travel log. You didn't come for PBS across Europe with uh, <laughs> Keith Gove. So um, lots more to say about that, but we want the big ideas, not the, uh, not the travel narrative. So we got the primary people. Everybody in here has got two different names, which can be confusing. You got Saul, who's also Paul, right? Now, I don't know about you guys, but I had always just assumed that Saul's name got changed at his conversion. But that's not what Luke says. What Luke does in this section that we're reading in chapter 13 and 14, all up until now, he's been Saul, 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 Saul. Why are you persecuting me? Now, Luke switches from his Jewish name to the Greek version of his name, Paul, which he was also called. But in this transition where the gospel is now going primarily to the Gentiles or to the Gentiles in this brand new way, he uses Paul, he uses Paul's Greek name and it changes the, the flavor. It gives us a cue as the reader that something is different. There is a, there is a Gentile focus and emphasis from here on out. And then we got Joseph, who nobody knows him as Joseph. Everybody knows him as Barnabas. And I know him as Barnabas Brad Pitt because everything goes well for Barnabas. You saw when we were in Lystra and Paul got stoned, Barnabas is not like stone stone, but is hit with rocks. Barnabas is nowhere to be found. Barnabas somehow, like, I don't know if he's standing by, like, he said it. 
I wasn't there. I didn't say a thing. It was all him. Barnabas never gets rocks thrown at him. Anyway, Barnabas Brad Pitt, he is uh, the Teflon uh, character in the story. Um, Simeon called Niger. Niger is Latin for black or, or dark-complected, uh, likely from North Africa, like Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene is a, a city on North African coast. Uh, we got Manan, who is from Herod's court, friends of Herod. This would have been somebody with really uh, a high social standing because of that connection. And then John, who's called John Mark, or Mark, who is the writer of our second gospel in our Bibles, who in this, care, in this story is kind of the, the, the goat, not the greatest of all time, but like the guy who misses the boat. He leaves in the middle of this journey and goes back home. And that leaving is a huge conflict between Paul and Barnabas through the rest of, of Acts. Um, so John Mark doesn't do so well in this story, but he comes back and redeems himself later in Acts. Um, supporting cast on Cyprus, we meet this uh, false prophet named Elimus or, or Bar-Jesus, um, who is uh, kind of a Jewish uh, advisor to the governor, who's the next guy, Sergius Paulus, also two names. Everybody's got two names. Um, he's, he's called a magician, um, but that was not allowed in, in Judaism. You couldn't practice magic and be a good Jew. And so he's, he's called a false prophet because he's, he's deviating from, from traditional Judaism and kind of writing his own script. And then you got the folks in Antioch. You got the, uh, the, the Jews of the synagogue where they go. You got the rulers who invite Paul and Barnabas to speak. So they go through the reading of the law, they go through the reading of the prophets, and then they say, you know, is there anyone who has a word to encourage the congregation? And they allow, they give a message to Paul, would you like to speak? And that's <laughs> their first mistake. <laughs> so then Paul gets up and he gives that long sermon of the history of the Jews from the beginning, from when they were chosen in Abraham all the way up to David. And how there was promised a Messiah through David's offspring, who is Jesus. And then you got the Gentiles. And uh, Luke gives us two categories of Gentiles in the story. God-fearers, which were folks who had approached Judaism, who had come to the synagogue to learn about God. But they didn't follow all of the, of the dietary rules. They didn't convert to Judaism. They didn't get circumcised. They didn't go through all the things that they would have needed to do to be part of that Jewish community fully. And then you've got devout converts who did, who, who got circumcised, who followed all the dietary laws, all the clothing laws, followed everything. 613 laws, and they did their best to follow them all. And then you've got the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city who were Gentiles, because Luke tells us the Jews riled up these people against Paul and Barnabas to get them kicked out. Then you got Iconium, you got, again, they go to the synagogue, they speak to the Jews, the Jews reject them. There's, they're not all of them, the, the crowd is divided, the synagogue is divided, the city is divided. And the Gentile God-fearers, again, are uh, responding well to Paul and to Barnabas. But again, there, they're kicked out. They move on to Lystra. Um, and there's the man who is healed, the guy whose, whose legs did not work. 
um, who is healed, and the crowds are amazed. Notice, they didn't go to a synagogue in Lystra. Likely, there was no synagogue in Lystra. So they went right to the Gentiles, which had not happened up to this point, at least as far as Luke tells us. They go to the Gentiles, um, and they want to worship Barnabas and Paul. They, they, want, they, they, they think God has visited them in human form. The gods have visited them in human form, and they're going to offer sacrifices to Zeus to thank them for this visitation to their town. And Barnabas and Paul have to run out and say, no, they're, you know, ripping their clothes. That's not us. We are not gods. We are people of a nature just like you. Um, but the angry Jews from Antioch and from Iconium had followed to Lystra, and they uh, get the crowd uh, against Paul and Barnabas. And uh, that's where Paul gets pummeled with rocks. And they think he's dead. He's not dead. They leave on to Derby next. So we've got the church in Antioch that sends Paul and Barnabas. We've got Paul and Barnabas and their whole crew. And then they've got all the different towns that they go to. And it leads down to us. Now, I don't know how it is that the gospel came to you. I don't know who it was that shared it with you, what church you were at or a, a camp. But I know for me, um, I went to Forest Home in second grade. And, uh, and I remember one of the leaders saying, you know, you can pursue a friendship with Jesus. And I'm, I'm in second grade. There's a lot I don't know. I, it would have been good for me to be in a church where, where we could ask questions, you know, because I would have had a lot of them. But I thought, I want that. I want a friendship with Jesus. Now, what that counselor did not say is, all you have to do is follow all 613 Jewish laws and don't wear any clothes that are a mix of two different fabrics. That's very important. Don't do that. No more bacon, no more shellfish. Um, she just said, you can have a friendship with God. And then my third grade teacher, I remember asking my third grade teacher, Miss Laramie, over at Friends, your Belinda Friends, um, how many times do I need to ask Jesus into my heart before he's there? Because I've asked a bunch of times and I'm not so sure he's around. <laughs> I don't feel any different. Um, but again, I was, I was assured and reassured Jesus wants a relationship with you. She never told me all 613 laws. She never told me of the history of the Jewish people, how God had chosen them from Abraham and all the kings and judges that had led up to David, to the Savior who was promised. All those are good things. None of those are bad. But it wasn't the first thing I needed to know. What I needed to know was that God loved me and he wanted a relationship with me. And that message begins here. And we are all here as products of that message. When Peter, you know, gets this vision, the telling of the gospel from there on out changed. Don't call unclean what I have made clean in Jesus. 
Don't make people go through all the steps that were supposed to point to the Messiah when the Messiah has already come. Everything changed, and it changed for us. We are all here because of that change. The cities, the regions, the Roman provinces, just, we can get, we can get lost in all of the names of all the different places. What is important is that God, I mean, the gospel had gone to a lot of these places before. There were folks uh, at Pentecost who went out after Pentecost and went to a lot of these places. But the nature of the message that is being received now is different. So Paul and Barnabas get sent on this journey um, all around, you know, the known world and the new places we are being sent as well. So the message that Paul and Barnabas give when they go to the synagogue is very specific. It's very individualized. It's very um, personal to that community. It's the story of the Jewish people. It's the culmination of that story in Jesus. It's proof from the scriptures. Here is what God has been doing. Here's what he told us from the very beginning. I will make you a light this nation of Israel, I will make you a light to the Gentiles. The promise of forgiveness and freedom in the Messiah and a warning not to shun such great news. But then, when they go to the folks who aren't Jewish, notice that Paul and Barnabas don't preach the same message to those folks uh, in Lystra who don't have a synagogue, who don't know the history of the Jewish people. This is my, my summary of, of Paul's sermon to them. We bring you good news to give life meaning and purpose and significance and hope and joy to free you from these vain things, Paul said. You know, as they're worshiping all of these Greek gods, we're coming to free you from that futility, from that vanity, from worshiping these things that are not alive to introduce you to the living God. There is a God, and he is alive. He changed me and is still changing me. He's, they're giving their testimony. Paul, I'm sure, is telling them, here's what happened to me on the road to Damascus. And it all revolves around Jesus. Paul's encounter, our encounter, for Barnabas, for Lucius, for all of the team that was with them. That inner action with Jesus, that personal encounter is what they shared and that he is available to you directly. Not through a Jewish system anymore. Not through the synagogue anymore. He's available to you directly. They offered Jesus a relationship with God to these people who had never known a synagogue, never set foot in a synagogue. Now, the reactions to this message were not always favorable. In fact, I would say if we look at each one of the places where they went, there is opposition in every place they shared this message. Everyone. 
Sometimes Luke tells us that the, the reaction was mixed. Sometimes not at all. Um, on Cyprus, when they go to Cyprus, we have one account that Luke gives us, um, that, that conversation with Sergius Paulus, the governor of that island of Cyprus. How many converts does Luke tell us Paul and Barnabas made in that trip to Cyprus? Just one. One guy. They've traveled across the sea. They brought all this stuff. They brought all this people. And one guy, at least that we know of, one guy comes to faith. So in every place, there's different, different reactions. But throughout this narrative, Luke tells us, as many as God had ordained to believe, believed. Or when they get back at the end, they celebrated what God had done. So it wasn't on them. It wasn't on their shoulders who received and who didn't receive. Um, they just went out and they just kept sharing. So as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Now, um, in Stephen ministry, we talk about process-oriented uh, being process-oriented or being goal-oriented. So when we're uh, results-oriented. When we're results-oriented, I go to Cyprus and I'm like, okay, there's, you know, I, I don't know how many people lived on Cyprus, but, you know, there's 10,000 people here on the island of Cyprus. We're going we're gonna to make 10 converts. We're going we're gonna, to, that's a reasonable goal. And if we don't get there, we have failed. And so if you leave the island of Cyprus and you got one guy who made a commitment, you're like, oh, man, I failed. Or we think God failed. Process orientation is God's given us this message to share. It's not on us how he works in the hearts of folks and uh, how they respond our job, our, our responsibility, our calling, our opportunity, our privilege is just to share what God did to us. The conversations that I had with my roommates in college that led me to commit my life to Christ. I get to talk about the change in my life because of those people. Because of Jesus who they introduced me to. And we get to share that. And we don't, we're not, uh, we're not results focused or results dependent. We get to be a part of the process. And whatever God chooses to do, he will do. So in every place, there was different and varied reactions. And there will always be opposition in every place. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city and stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out. That was the first place they went. In Antioch. Second place they go, in Iconium. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, some with the apostles. And an attempt was made by the Jews and the Gentiles with their rulers to, to mistreat them and stone them. They learned of it and they fled to Lystra. So second place, they get out of Dodge. Third place. But in, when they're in Lystra, the Jews from Antioch and Iconium follow them because they are preaching something that is against everything that the good followers of Judaism had believed for 1,500 years. 
You're telling people that the 613 laws of Moses are, are not necessary anymore. And so this is a big, big deal for them. So of course they're going to follow them. We have to stop these people. So they follow them and they persuade the crowds against Paul and Barnabas. And Paul is dragged out and stoned. Barnabas, nowhere to be found. <laughs> Nary a pebble hit him. So there will be opposition. There will be disappointments and departure. I told you already about John Mark. He leaves in the middle. We don't know what that was about. We don't know if he was homesick. We don't know um, if there was issues with he and Paul. We don't, we don't know any of the details. And I don't want to make any guesses. All we know is he left in the middle right after Cyprus. And it was a big deal to Paul. It, it wasn't like, oh, he broke his legs. All right, we got to send him back. There was something where it was uh, very much in Paul's eyes a failure on the part of Jean-Marc. And for us, there will be disappointments. There will be difficulties. Paul and his companions set sail for, from Paphos, came to Perga, and there, when they first get to Turkey from the island of Cyprus, um, John Mark goes back to Jerusalem. But they thank God for all that he accomplished, and they celebrate it. So through all this journey, they go through all these countries, they go all these new towns, they're getting kicked out every time. People are throwing big rocks at them, trying to kill them, and they thank God for all he accomplished, and they celebrate it. When they get back home to the church in Antioch in Syria, the one that has sent them, when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time there with the disciples. So they get back home. And the first thing that they want to tell the church is not, hey, I almost died. They tried to kill me like seven times. What they share is, look what God did. As Jews, they grew up thinking God, the one God, the living God, is the God of the Jews and only the Jews. And they come back to this church and they're saying, all these non-Jews, you know, Gentile just means somebody who's not Jewish, right? So every, every culture is kind of ethnocentric, right? Egocentric, like there's us and there's everybody else, right? So they came back saying, the everybody else that's not Jewish that we talk to, they love Jesus. And they responded. Not all of them, but way more than you guys would have ever imagined. They heard the story and they were drawn to Jesus and they received the Holy Spirit just like we did. The reality that God has done something new in their midst, in their time, hits home, and they give thanks. They celebrate. And then in our words, they, uh, they pray and watch for new opportunities, right? This isn't the only journey that Paul is going to go on or that Barnabas is going to go on. There are going to be opportunities that come where Paul's going to leave again, and Barnabas is going to go with John Mark, Paul's going to go with Timothy and Silas, and they're going to go out again. They pray, 
And they watch for, Lord, where are you going to send us next? What are you going to do next? Where is this story of Jesus going to go next? And whose lives will it change? They're praying and they're watching for those opportunities. Now, I said at the beginning, this was kind of a first of its kind, this, this missionary journey, but not the first in the sense that, that these countries had never heard about Jesus, right? I said there were uh, people from Phrygia and Pamphylia that were at Pentecost. Luke tells us that as the book opens. Um, but something changes here that is key. The, to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. To people who aren't Jewish, our God that we have always imagined as being the, the Jewish God is opening a door to repentance that leads to life for folks who aren't Jewish. And also, after the stoning of Stephen, Luke tells us that the Christians flee to Cyprus and to Antioch, but preaching only to the Jews, with very few exceptions. Now those doors are open. Now this message is going out as broadly and as often and as many times as they can, as they can speak it. All of that has changed. I think when Peter heard Jesus say, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, because of what we know about the vision from last week, I think what Peter heard is, you're going to talk to the Jews in Jerusalem, to the Jews in Judea and Samaria, and to the Jews who are spread to the ends of the earth. And it's not until he has this vision that all of a sudden the light bulb goes off and he says, oh, we're going to share this with everyone. This is brand new. Now, now, with this journey, it is good news of great joy for all people. Now, it was good news before. But if it came with the baggage of the Jewish system, yes, come to Jesus, but you got to go through this Jewish system and be a good Jew before you can celebrate the Jewish Messiah. If it came with all that baggage, it's not as good a news as you can come directly to God because of Jesus. And that news was new. From here, the gospel is going to everyone and they can respond directly. Now, this is not an, uh, excluding the Jews. This is not a rejection of the Jewish people. This is not, I'm now going, you guys have, have not listened to me, so now I'm going to these guys and I'm not talking to you anymore. Everywhere they went, they still went to the synagogue first. But when they were rejected, they went to the Gentiles. And when they went to a city that didn't have a synagogue, they didn't say, oh, well. Let's go back. They preached to them. Not a rejection of the Jewish people, except as Paul said, you have rejected, you have deemed yourselves unworthy of this message. So now we're going to the Gentiles. But he did not reject them. And God did not reject them. They chose to reject the message. But it's an inclusion of all people. What, what Todd said last week, 
God has no favorites. Racially, ethnically, no favorites. All people, he is offering this good news. So I wanted to share one way at RCC where this good news is going out into the world and in a way that we wouldn't expect. As Paul and Barnabas go to all these cities, the gospel is going out in ways that they had never seen before to people that they had never imagined would receive it with such joy. And it is tailored to their audience. Um, John Wayne and Taryn Lee uh, Kennedy are missionaries that we began supporting in uh, 2020. During the, during the shutdown, we got introduced to them and began supporting them as a church. And uh, they had all kinds of, they were in Mozambique, they had all kinds of issues because there were Islamic militants who were pushing refugee, refugees down from the north of Mozambique down to where they were, and they ended up having to uh, leave Mozambique and go to Zimbabwe next door. So we haven't heard a lot from them, but I want you to know what they're doing because um, what they are doing involves the most basic needs of people, but they're using it as a means to change their culture and a way to share Jesus. So I want you to see what they're doing. This is John Wayne and Taryn Lee. Um, their little boy is a year and a half. His name's Israel on the left, and their little girl, Reagan, is five on the right. Behind me, you'll see the images of eggs being handed out to the children uh, that we have partnered with, the school, Yaman Tatari. Uh, you'll see that the children line up and getting the, the access to protein that they may not have in their diets at home. As you know, Mozambique and most poor nations in Africa live on below $2 a day. I just want to say thank you, first of all, for the support that you've given to Taryn and I to provide an egg a day to these children. You are helping to improve the life and opportunity these children have. Um, you know, the, it's just an egg, it seems like a small thing, but I tell you this, the egg has the potential to change the life, to change a community and to change a nation. Pretty cool. So John Wayne and Taryn Lee, um, they raised chickens. Now they have kind of franchised that, and they have three families there who are raising uh, chickens who lay eggs that they are able to distribute to kids as an incentive to get them to come to school because they live in very poor areas, and it's much easier for the parents to just say, hey, stay home, don't go to school, and just work so that we can pay the bills, so that we can do what we need to do. This gives them an incentive to go to school. They get protein, they get food, they get to learn, they get to improve their situation, and John Wayne and Taryn Lee get to use that as an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with folks um, who need to hear it. And they've give, been given an opportunity because of these eggs, because of providing something just basic, something that we would just imagine is so, so simple. They tailored the message of Jesus to meet the needs of this community in such a way that they feel loved and known and their needs are known and they get to meet Jesus in terms that make sense to them. Now, I'm, I will guarantee you that John Wayne and Taryn Lee did not tell any of those kids 
who are getting an egg about the 613 laws of Judaism. I guarantee it has not happened. They're just telling them about a God who loves them, who wants to be their friend, who wants a relationship with them. And the egg is just a means to that end. When you uh, give to our, our general fund that we support these missionaries through, we get the opportunity to see the gospel go out in new ways, in different ways. We're going to have Altine here in two weeks, uh, who is uh, one of our missionaries in Albania, and he'll talk to you the way that they bought an art hostel. And they're running their church out of a, an art hostel that's still a hostel. So there's people living on the second and the third floor who come in and rent, and they have church on the first floor. So everybody comes out and goes through and walks past the church on their way out. And they get to talk to college students all day, every day, about who this Jesus is in a way that makes sense to these Albanian students. Uh, we're going to have Will Watson here also in August, who is planting a church through Vintage Grace, our kind of granddaughter church up in Placerville. And he's going to be doing the same thing. He's going to be taking a look at who the audience is in Placerville and communicating the good news of who Jesus is through that community to those people for them. Oh, I went past. You're going to see, uh, I mean, out in the lobby, you've probably walked past it a hundred times. There's a little map up there of all the other ones, all the other missionaries that, that we support, all the other partners who are doing this everywhere that God has sent them. So God is sending us out to our places, wherever he has us. He has uh, called them sometimes uh, outside of, of the U.S. So different uh, every, from every previous evangelistic approach, Paul and Barnabas, this is not tied to any political power, not like, you know, hey, we've conquered you, now your gods are our gods, now you're going to worship like we do. It's not tied to national identity. This is the God of the Jews. You've got to be Jewish in order to have this God. What they do, the gospel, as it begins to go out in this first missionary journey, is tied only to the cross. Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. And every approach is personal. Every approach is to the person in front of them that God loves them, that God wants a relationship with them. Now, if our trust is in Jesus, if that's true for us, there are some things that are true out of that. We too, just like Paul and Barnabas, we too have been given gifts by God. Paul and Barnabas are not the, the last of the people who spoke the message of Jesus wherever they went. It went from them to others, to others, to others, to others. And we are sitting in this church because it did, because it came to us. So we have been given gifts by God, and we are sent out. I hope, I pray, that there are people sitting in churches a decade, two decades, a century from now, who look back to us because Katie shared the gospel with me, because Joel shared Jesus with me, I'm in a church.
because I came to VBS and I had fun and I kept coming back to church because it was fun and I got to ask questions and they had answers and I learned about Jesus. We are sent out. We have a story to tell. If we trust Jesus, a miracle has happened to make that happen. And we celebrate the ongoing, unstoppable grace of God. We celebrate what God has done in us and what God is doing through us, what he gives us the privilege to be involved in. So this week, what are we going to do? I am not asking you to go to Turkey. I am not asking you to go to Cyprus. You can if you want. I've never been. I bet they're nice places. But where are the places God is sending you? Where are you going this week? Well, I got doctor's appointments. I got errands to run. I got work. I got to go to work. I got wherever. Where is God sending you? God is sending you. Where are those places? And who are those people? Who is God sending you to? When we went through sharing the joy, we made a list of those places and those people. Go back to that list. Who are those people God has put in my life? Who right now maybe are chasing some of those vain things that Paul talked about? And let's pray and watch for our opportunities. Just pray. That's what I'm asking us as a people, and I think God is asking us to do. God wants to do this work, and he hopes to use us. So, Lord, where do you want us? Let's pray. Lord, this week you're going to bring us to, uh, to people who don't know you to people who right now need to know who you are. They need to know that, that a relationship with you is possible. They need to know that a relationship with you is available. They need to know that you love them. And Lord, we might be the right people to introduce them. Lord, would you give us wisdom? Would you give us courage? Would you help us to recognize the opportunities so that we could be your people, we could be your ambassadors in those situations. And Lord, I know the results will, will be in your hands, that it's not up to me, but I pray we would uh, be faithful to share the good news that we have received. For your glory, Lord, and for our joy, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.